do you think he will be back? Of course they didn't think so. And if you were one of them, neither would you. We find Jesus' closest followers exactly where, would, where you would expect them during this time. Since they expected Jesus to do what dead people do. And what is that? Stay dead. I want to draw your attention just for a few moments today. And I want to just simply have a chat with you and ask this very simple question. Why does it matter? And in Mark 16, if you would go there with me in your notes so you can look on the overhead... It says, the Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, or Salami, I think she was Italian, uh, (laughs) went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. They did not go to the tomb expecting to find a living Jesus. They went to the tomb expecting and fully prepared to anoint the body of a dead Jesus. They went early because we know that they were watching and observing when the body was hurriedly prepared uh, by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And they went to Pilate to ask for the body or really in those days probably bribed for the body. And the women followed this whole exchange and they were watching as, as uh, these two guys were preparing uh, the body of Jesus. And we know that when women observe men doing a job, we know that uh, women know that they're going to have to redo what the man just did. And so they already prepared in their minds that we're going to have to come back and fix this mess. And, uh, but all of this happened so quick. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was like a, a pulsating a history unfolding so quickly before people's eyes. The, uh, the arrest, the kangaroo court, the, the mock trials, and then the subsequent consequence of a, of a guilty verdict. The death by crucifixion. They were not having conversations about celebrating a resurrection. They were having conversations about the immediate obstacle to their purpose. And their purpose was to re-anoint and prepare the body. And their, and their obstacle was a very large stone. When the women went to the grave, they were not talking to one another. Oh, isn't this wonderful? And we're doing a little countdown, you know, nine, eight, seven, six, here we go. No, they, they, they were literally prepared because they were hoping for a different outcome. But despite the deep disappointment that they felt at that moment, despite this deep sense of loss, they also had a deep sense of loyalty. And they had a deep sense of respect and a deep sense of loyalty towards Jesus. They had hoped he was the promised Messiah, but obviously within their minds, and because the Messiah would not die, he's not supposed to die, because God would not kill his own Messiah. So they're going with a sense of duty, but not a sense of reverence and worship. And as they arrived, to their shock and to their surprise, the stone was no longer there. And I want you to notice in Luke's writing of the event, Luke gives us a a little bit more detail. He says this very early on Sunday morning, the woman went to the tomb carrying the spices that they had prepared. When they found the stone rolled away from the entrance, they went in. Watch this. But they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. How many of you know nobody expected nobody, right? And they did not know what to think. They did not immediately. There's no way they expected an empty tomb. Never mind a living Jesus. As a matter of fact, John adds this and he says this. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples. Talks about Mary Magdalene, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body. Notice, she does not say there's a resurrection. 
What is she thinking? She's thinking there were some grave robbers that came and now they took the Lord's body and we don't know where they have put him. Mary Magdalene is not going down the street shouting a hallelujah chorus saying, He is risen, He is risen, He is alive. They, they, they did not expect this whatsoever. She says they have taken. We don't know who the they is she was talking about. But the woman hurried back to tell the disciples what was going on. And then surely, surely after the woman experienced a couple of angels, surely they are going to believe them, right? So they go back to the men and Luke accounts for something absolutely amazing. He accounts for maybe where you are today. Maybe you say, well, you know, I believe in the historical Jesus and I believe that, you know, he was a good man and had some good teachings, but I don't really know about this, you know, raising from the dead thing. I don't really know about that. But can I tell you what? You're in good company because the disciples were exactly where you might be today. Exactly. They were there. They were, as a matter of fact, they were so skeptic that they record their skepticism for us. And uh, look here with me in Luke chapter uh, 24, verse 9. Watch this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Now listen, verse 11. Watch this. But. Somebody say but. but. Oh, come on. Say it like you mean it. But the story sounded so wonderful. They said, Kumbaya, this is what we were hoping for. This happened. What does it say? It sounded like what? Nonsense to the men. So they didn't what? Believe it. However, Peter, of course, he's always got to jump to something. And he said, well, let me go check out this bunch of crazy women. Let me go check out of the tomb and go see what's going on. So he runs and, and John runs and he stoops and he peers in and he saw the empty linen wrappings. Watch this. Then he went home again. Somebody say he went home again. Watch this. Doing what? Does he believe? No. He's wondering what had what happened. Peter couldn't just take the words of the woman. He had, to go, he had to go check it out. But he's leaving. And he's leaving how? He's leaving puzzled. Now, the question that I have for you today, how in the world is it possible for people with that amount of skepticism, people with that amount of doubt, people with that amount of unbelief, how in the world would they start a movement that would absolutely change the world? Jesus for them at that moment was dead and he was not coming back. And now they have to face the consequences of their public following of this so-called Messiah. So what do you do when you are deathly afraid? Here's what you do. You hide. And you certainly do not go out in groups together. And you certainly don't bring any attention to yourself. So what happens? Peter and John goes by themselves. They don't want to take everybody else. And what else do you do? You go behind locked doors. You lock the door. You close the door. You shut yourself in. When you're afraid, you're only letting the people in who you know. Why? Because they said, hey, they came for our leader. If they came for our leader, who is next? We are next. They were not looking for a resurrection, they were mourning a tragedy in their lives. But something amazingly happens. Watch this. That same evening, look at John 20 verse 19. Watch. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of who? The Jewish leaders. And I love this. I don't know if you like this, but I love it when God suddenly does something. Suddenly, Jesus was what? Standing there among them and he says, peace be with you, he said. They are hiding for their lives and Jesus shows up and he goes, shalom, what's up? What's happening? If you're German, guten Abend. Buenas noches, bonjour, hello, dobre vicher. If you're Polish, 
Magadang Gabi, if you're from the Philippines. Malaypa Nakam, that is from, if you're from India. That was just from my Indian friends. Sabona, Hudenavant, that's if you're Dutch. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Huyanant, that's if you're Afrikaans. Buonasera, come va? That's for my Italian friends right there. Jesus, he, he shows them and he goes, what's up, fellas? What's going on? I love this. Now watch this. Look at verse 36 in Luke. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But, somebody say but. but. You got to notice, they're not making any of these guys heroes. But the whole group was what? Startled and frightened, thinking they were they saw him die. This, 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 this is not, this is not, if, if you ever had this, well, you know what? They were just making this stuff up. If they were making this stuff up, they really were not doing a very good job of it. They were thinking, seeing goes, watch this. Why are you frightened? He asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there and what? Disbelief filled with joy and wonder. Now, now they, they, they now have confusing emotions. They don't know what to feel anymore. Then he asked them, hey, do you guys have any of those fish tacos left that you guys were eating any earlier? How do I know those fish tacos? Because look at the next verse. Watch this. They gave him a piece of what? Broiled fish. And he ate it as they watched. Hey, man, I've been dead for a couple of days. I need some food. Come on now. Somebody feed me. And they were starved. And I love this. As Jesus is eating, what are they doing? They just watched him. They, they're so amazed. They're like, we can't believe this. This is crazy. Now watch verse 44. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And then watch this. You are witnesses of all these things. Jesus said, I told you this was going to happen. But you see, every time Jesus was telling them what was going to happen, they were not listening. Why? Because when you have your own agenda, how many of you know it's very difficult to hear somebody else? And they had their own agenda of what they thought Jesus was going to have to do in order to fulfill their messianic thought about him. So because they had their own thought about him, they never listened. They, they just kind of shut him out. I don't know if you ever had a staff meeting and you communicating, but ain't nobody listening. I've had several of those this week. I mean, you have a conversation with somebody and you're trying to communicate something to them. And they look at you like, oh, yeah. And then afterwards, they ask you the very stuff you told them. And then you stop and you say, wait a minute, were you not just in the meeting we just had? Uh, yeah. Well, what do, did, did I not tell you? Jesus tried to tell them again and again and again, hey, this I have to suffer, I have to die. You see, what they were looking for, they were looking for a political Messiah, but what the world needed was a Savior and a Lord. 
And in verse 48, he tells them that they are the, the witnesses. They, they witness to the event that changed the world. And you need to understand this very clearly today. The resurrection of Jesus created Christianity and birthed the church. The Bible did not birth the church. The resurrection birthed the church. There were no believers when Jesus was crucified, when he was dead. Not a single one. Not Mary, his mother, not Peter, not John, and certainly not Thomas. Can I get an amen for that one? Not a single disciple held on to hope. If you have hope, you don't lock yourself up. They were so hopeless that they observed everything that happened to him from, from a distance, not even up close. And none of them expected him to come back to life after they witnessed him die in the way. There was no way that they were going to repeat the teachings of Jesus and all the claims. Why? Because Jesus made way too many claims about that he was the Son of God. Way too many. He made way too many claims that they were going to say, well, okay, you know, let at least share with the world the Sermon on the Mount. Well, let's at least share the, the, the parable of the, the prodigal or the parable of the sower that sows the wood. I mean, those are good stories. Let's at least, you know, let's take that stories into the world. Absolutely not. They were not going to share one word of it. Why? Because they were hopeless. They, they, they thought that it was gone. There was no movement that was going to come from them. Now, this is very important if you're here today and you came because maybe somebody invited you or promises you that if you go listen to this crazy guy, we get you an Easter dinner or, you know, buy you a Starbucks, just come with me, or your family forced you to be here and you're like, oh, okay, let's go, it's Easter. I want you to understand something. We do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells us so. We believe because of the first-hand account of eyewitnesses. They were John, Peter, Thomas, Matthew, Mark. Mary, Martha, Paul. We believe because Luke came along and later thoroughly investigated these events. And Luke says, you know what I'm going to do? You know, I'm a smart man. I'm an educated man. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put an account together of the life of Jesus. And I'm going to investigate this. And I'm going to get some eyewitnesses that were there that experienced this. And then I'm going to put it together an account. We believe because John, who was an eyewitness, put together an account of Jesus' life. We believe because Peter believed Jesus rose from the dead and later wrote letters to the churches to say as much. We believe because James, think about this, James, the brother of Jesus. Let me stop here for a moment. How many of you have a brother? Now, what would it take for you to declare your brother your Lord? Oh, yeah, he's my Lord. Oh, he's not only my Lord, he's my Savior. You see, you got to understand this. James came along later in the game. When Jesus was there, James didn't believe. James thought my brother went nuts. He's got some messianic problem going on. Uh, we just better withdraw. As a matter of fact, Jesus is teaching in a place, and then, and then Mary and everybody else comes along, and they say, hey, uh, your, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. Why are they looking for him? Because they're like, can we have a conversation? I mean, stop this. Stop this. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Stop that stuff. Stop talking about that God is your father. I mean, stop talking about You're telling people your sins are forgiven. Only God. I mean, come on, Jesus. Calm it down. We know you. I mean, go build some tables. You're a carpenter. You, I mean, what is this? Now, James comes along, and James later on declares that Jesus is his Lord, that his brother is the one that saves him. 
That takes more than a few card tricks. Hello? That takes more than a jumping from one hoop to another hoop. Something must have happened. And the eyewitness accounts were written down, copied, collected, distributed, and put together. That's why we say that the foundation of Christian faith is an event. Say that, an event. Amen. Now say it with me again. Say an event. Amen. An extraordinary event with profound implications for all of our lives, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our futures, all of our joys, all of our sorrows. Peter, who started following Jesus early on, left his fishing business. And Peter, the one whom Jesus tried to tell, you know, when Jesus told him that he was going to suffer, what did Peter do? He rebuked Jesus. He's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to allow that to happen to you. And Jesus told him, dude, this is what I got to go through. And then Peter insisted. And then Jesus, get behind me, devil. You're not mindful of the things of God. Peter, who after Jesus told uh, the, the rich young ruler to go and sell all his God, all his God and follow him, Peter, say, Peter saying, okay, you know, what's in it for us? We live everything is 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 there anything in this game for us peter who in the most crucial of moments lost his faith denied he knew jesus to a young teenage girl a young teenage girl he could not even keep it together then followed from a distance the peter who once believed and then denied that he ever believed and then he stopped believing and then after the resurrection he rebelieved this peter who was later beheaded in nero's rome sat down towards the end of his life and he retells the story to mark and mark writes it down and at some point he writes two letters most likely through a scribe and i want to i want to point this out to you as we as we come to a close you watch this it, it's part of our new testament and listen to what he writes, because this is profound. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. Are you still out there? Don't worry. Easter dinner is waiting for you. Watch this. 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Somebody say born again. Now watch this. To a living hope through the what? Of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now watch. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter was convinced about a relational factor of God as Father. He also says we have a living hope. He's not, he's not saying we are hoping. This is not, oh, maybe in the future. He says we have a living hope. It's alive. Why? Through the resurrection, he says. Why is he saying that? Because he says, I saw it for myself. And then he talks about an inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? Children, right. Thank you. Children gets an inheritance. But where is this inheritance? And don't miss this. He says, kept in heaven. Don't skip over that. If you just kind of glance over that, because maybe you're looking from our point of view, you got to understand from his point of view. Peter did not believe in heaven because of what he was told as a child or that because somebody wanted him to feel better about life and, oh, you know, we don't know what to tell, you know. You know, when they're dead, they're dead. So, you know, we just make up the story that there's an afterlife and, you know, it's a way of dealing with death. As a matter of fact, you got to know this, that the Jewish scripture says very little about heaven. It, it, to such an extent that half of the Jewish leaders did not believe that there was an afterlife. That's why we call them sad, you see, because they were sad, you see. Just a little Easter humor there for you. They believed that once you died, that was it. That you lived for the pleasure of God and that life ended when life ended. Peter believed in heaven. 
Not because of what he was taught as a child, but because a resurrected Jesus talked a lot about heaven. He talked a lot about, watch this, he writes this in verse 6. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though, somebody say, even though, you must endure many trials for a little while. Listen very carefully, this is incredible. Peter did not for one moment doubt the love of God because of suffering. He did not doubt the Father's love or existence because of the pain in this life. His faith was secured even if suffering was a guarantee for his own future. He saw Jesus suffer and then he saw Jesus alive. And then he had breakfast with Jesus when he wanted to give up. And if you're here today and, and you're in this place and maybe you've given up on faith because of pain in somebody else's life or because of pain in your life, I, I want to kindly ask you to reconsider. The folks who were the eyewitnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus went themselves through incredible suffering, suffering that you and I cannot even fathom or imagine. Yet they did not lose their faith because they saw the best person they ever knew. The kindest person. The most loving person. The most dedicated person. The person who only did good. The person who healed the sick. The person who fed the hungry. The person who calmed the storm. The person who gave dead mothers back their children. The best person went through the worst suffering and abuse and lies and betrayal. But they believed anyway. The best of all of us went through the worst of any of us, and yet they still believed. You see, their faith was not in an imaginary God, but the real one, who conquered death before their very own eyes, and even at the cost of their own suffering and their lives, they could not deny what they have seen for themselves. People say, wow, you know, I mean, you know, you know, this whole thing was just made up. It's just a fable. It was just made up. What did they get out of it? How many of you know if you're making up a fable, at least make some money from it? Hello, somebody. I mean, write a book. Do, 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 do something. There, there, was, there was nothing in it for them by making it up. Their reward for following and proclaiming that Jesus is who he is was what? Beheadings. Pierced through with spears, upside down crucifixions, being torn apart for sport, being burned at the stake as human torches, being thrown into stadiums and torn apart by wild animals, being tortured, imprisoned, sawn in two, seeing their children beaten to death. That was their reward on this side of eternity. Now how in the world would you yourself go through suffering like that knowing that you are lying? How does a guy that cannot even keep it together in front of a junior high girl. Sorry, junior hires. How does a guy go from that and not believing to being crucified upside down? Think about this. Three years of teachings didn't do it for him. All the good works, all the miracles, all the miracles they saw didn't do it for him. Couldn't persuade him. But what persuaded him? When Jesus walked into the room and said, what's up? Watch this. Are you still with me? Look at verse 18 and 19 of that same chapter in 1 Peter 1. I'm coming for a landing. Look at what it says. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. 
it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Peter goes from talking about the resurrection, and then what does he do? He connects for us the death of Jesus on the cross. You see, it is the whole point of this discourse. He's letting us know that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that took our place and shed his blood. Why? So that we can have forgiveness and freedom. He's letting us know that our salvation cost Jesus his life and that we can now have a relationship through Jesus with the Father. Despite all the bad that can happen in life, Jesus made a way for us to be with the Father forever. The resurrection changes everything. It matters. Easter matters. And you matter. So what does it mean? What does it mean for us? Very simply, God loves us completely even when things don't always work out because Jesus died for us. Come on, can we be honest in this room today? We're in church. We ought to be honest. Well, you ought to be honest outside of church too, but can we just be honest for a moment here? How many of you understand? This bad, let me me just say like I say to the church, there's crap happening all the time. There's craptacular stuff that you had to go through. that, That does not diminish God's love for you. We can have a relationship with the Father, a personal life-giving relationship. That's the most wonderful news. The foundation of our faith is an extraordinary event with incredible implications. Why? Because it changes everything. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus were not resurrected from the grave, Paul writes and he says, hey, our faith is in vain. He says, guess what? He says, we are to be pitied of all people. He says, but the reality is this, we know it. Why do we know it? Because our eyes have seen, our hands have handled. Jesus reaches out when he walks, when they say, oh, it's a ghost. Jesus said, oh, come on, touch me. He was Italian. He spoke with his hands. He says, come on, touch me. Do this. Look at this. He says, look at my feet. Look at my hands. Look, look, I went through this, but I'm alive forevermore. And in disbelief, they saw it, but they knew that God made a way when they thought it was over. It was only the beginning. Suffering is not evidence of God's absence or abandonment. Here's the reality. Heaven is a real place with real rewards. Why? Because Jesus taught us there's a heaven and then Jesus conquered death for us. And the greatest news of all today is that we can leave our past behind us. No matter how horrid, no matter how horrible, no matter what we snorted, what we smoked, where we slept, who we slept with, what we've done We can leave all that junk behind us because Jesus offers forgiveness. The resurrection of Jesus frees us to accept Jesus' interpretation of his own life. When you die and you come back from the dead, I think we ought to listen to what you have to say. Because the resurrection confirms everything that Jesus taught. He's alive. The question is, would you allow him to take your pain, your past, your difficulty, all the junk that you're dealing with, would you allow him and would you lay that today at the cross so he can bring freedom in your life?